0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Week we, uh, we finished our, our marriage series, and I, I hope that you were able to catch all those messages. If not, they should all be online. And I would encourage you, whether you are, whether you are uh, married or single... ...to go online, it would be helpful to you. And uh, please share that, those messages with, with people... ...because as we said, we need to uh, redeem in our culture... Uh, uh, ...an understanding of the sacredness and the seriousness... ...of the holy institution that we call marriage. Today, uh, before we transition into our next series... ...my plan, God willing, is to uh, go through the book of Philemon... ...which is not that hard... Uh, because it's just one chapter, uh, but uh, I, I want to uh, I want to move through that book. Uh, it probably take me a couple of weeks to get through it, but I do want to preach uh, out of a uh, passage that I try to do uh, preach from annually. Uh, it's the first psalm, and I think this is so important. The, the subject is simply this: how to be happy, how to be happy, and I, and I think this is important because. You can find all kinds of different answers to that question if you were to go online right now. I mean, you would get every kind of answer in the world. People are searching for happiness, but few truly find it. And so I want to talk to you about the the subject of happiness. Uh, I believe this, that Christians, as Christians, we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. You did not respond to that, which might mean you're not happy. But uh, I I believe that we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. And the truth is that we're not, in many cases, we are not, uh, you know, just uh, showing off that we are happy people. And I think that's frustrating uh, on many levels. One, I don't think we're walking in the fullness of what God has for us. Now, let me be very, very clear uh, this morning. When I say that I think that we ought to be the happiest people on the planet that does not mean that we are to live lives that are devoid of suffering. Suffering is a part of being uh, in this fallen world, yes, even as a believer. So don't listen to a preacher who will tell you if you have enough faith, you will not suffer. That simply does not fit with the Bible. Jesus said this, in this world, you will have tribulation. So I'm looking probably at mostly believers here. How many have experienced some tribulation? Right? We all have and Jesus does not say that that will go away. He says, I've overcome the world. But he doesn't say because of that, you Christians will not suffer. It doesn't fit in the New Testament. There's massive suffering all throughout the New Testament in the early church. He doesn't promise that. But what he promises is this. He says in that same verse, I believe it's John 16, He says, in me, you may have peace. So what it means is that there is a happiness, a peace, a a deep-seated joy that is available, I believe, to every Christian even in the worst of times. It doesn't mean that we won't weep. It doesn't mean that we won't grieve. Of course we grieve. But even in those, those situations, the toughest of times... There is something deeper. There there is a contentment in the Lord that is available to every one of us. So we want to look at this subject, how to be happy. So I know you just sat down. I wanted to give you a break. I know you've been standing for a while, but it is custom in our church to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. So if you would, take your Bibles, go to Psalm chapter 1, and we'll begin here in verse 1. The Word of God says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight i love that word is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Did everybody get note sheets when you came in this morning? Good. I hope that you will take notes this morning. This first psalm serves as a gateway to the entire book of Psalms. It offers a stark contrast between the life of the godly or the life of the righteous and the way or the path of the wicked. But this psalm, though, is not a psalm about how to be righteous. Our righteousness, we know uh, from the Word of God, comes by virtue of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is this psalm? Well, in, in one dimension, it is about influence. It's about what shapes us as people. We, as men and women of God, must be very, very careful of who and what we allow to shape our thinking and influence our lives. We must be guarded from being shaped by the way or the words of the wicked or the worldly, for they are perishing. Instead, we've got to be shaped and instructed by the word of the Lord. Now, ultimately, this other dimension here, this psalm is a good... uh, teacher on how to be, it's a good teaching on how to be happy. It's about the pathway to true and lasting happiness. There are many things in this world that can give you temporary happiness, temporary satisfaction. There's pleasure the Bible talks about even uh, for a season in sin, but I'm talking about lasting happiness. This psalm tells us how to have that. The first word, as a matter of fact, is the word blessed The Hebrew word is the word esher, and it simply means to be happy. And this is not just a surface happiness, but it is a deep-seated happiness that lasts throughout all circumstances. It's used here in its plural form, and thus it could be translated as, Oh, the blessednesses. And I hope that is the song of your life. Oh, the blessednesses of my life because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. This person described in the first half of the psalm meets the conditions of the blessed life. That's a popular hashtag today, I believe, blessed life, right? You see t-shirts. We went to Texas Roadhouse on Friday night, Nikki and I, and we saw a couple people wearing t-shirts that said blessed. And this is the way to a blessed life. Just having a t-shirt to be sure saying blessed does not put you in the blessed life club. But happiness is something I believe that every sane person desires. But only those of us who really have a relationship with Jesus can know true and lasting deep-seated happiness. This is something that comes from the Lord. Now, to be sure, the psalm assumes a relationship with God. That's the starting place for the happy life in God. But I'll say this again that just because you have a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be a happy person and just spend some time with some church folks and you'll see this will be the case, right? So y'all smile this morning. Make me think that you're on the blessed path, all right? Let's look at the description of happy men and women of God. If you're taking notes, I want to begin here by considering their refrain. Their refrain. What do blessed people stay away from? Look at verse 1 with me again, if you would. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist, interestingly enough, begins the book of Psalms with three negatives. The first has to do with belief. The second negative has to do with behavior. And the third has to do with belonging. These are my people. This is a progression of sort. A person who begins by listening to the world will end up behaving like the world and eventually will belong to the world. So let's begin walking through this by looking at belief. Truly happy people are not polluted by worldly thinking. So I'll say again, be careful of who and what you listen to, and you may say, "Well, Pastor, I would never go to the world for counsel,", uh, for counsel. but I think we all do it somewhat unknowingly, maybe inadvertently at times. We're going to have a little fun this morning. Lower crowd, so you're going to have to shout this out really loudly. Uh, but I'm going to say a few word or phrases. Each of these come from a popular movie, commercial, song, or book, and I want you out loud to complete each phrase. Are you ready? Life is like a box of chocolates. All right. A little louder on the next one. Here we go. Everybody, here we go. The best part of waking up is... Oh, there you go. Some coffee lovers up in here. I am cuckoo for... All right. Silly rabbit. Y'all know your cereal. Melts in your mouth. There's some things that money can't buy. There we go. One credit card user in here. (laughs) Uh, you need to take financial peace with that, right? <laughs> you ain't nothing but a. No. Tell me what you want. What you really want. Oh yeah, that let's do that again. fun. Tell me what you want. What you really oh, I love it. All right. Who says you can't have fun in church, right? Knock, knock, knocking. I've got friends in. Want to hit every genre here, all right? Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Help I've fallen and your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let the words of my mouth. By the way, early service got these. (laughs) Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Close, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So... To be sure, I'm not against watching movies and commercials. I'm not being legalistic today. I'm just saying I think we're letting the world in general shape us a lot more than we are the word of God. The two verses I mentioned are two very well-known, you know, uh, verses that were to commit to memorization and, you know, different people memorize different verses, but I just use that as a point to say I think we've got to be careful Of what we allow to shape our thinking because even shows that are not quote unquote bad I'm not against listen I watch television I watch movies I'm not against that I enjoy them but we've got to be careful that we're not overdoing it so we're not being saturated with the media and the culture of the world um, because it does tend to shape our thinking and ultimately then our behavior and even our belonging at times based on a study uh, done by Nielsen, the New York Times reported in 2016 that on average, get this, American adults were watching five hours and four minutes of television per day. Then, total media consumption, watching television, surfing the web on the computer, using an app on your phone, listening to the radio, using your tablet, and so on, the average in 2016 was 10 hours and 39 minutes. But people tell me all the time, Pastor, I don't have time to read my Bible. This is what Americans, even multitudes of American Christians, are filling their minds with every day, being saturated with the thinking of the world, which leads to the second negative. The happy person doesn't stand in the way of sinners. We'll look at behavior. Number two, to stand in the way of sinners is to essentially mock or do what they're doing. You're on the same path as them. And if you begin to think like the world, you will eventually act like the world. But happy people do not behave like the world. It is not the road to happiness. Now, I want to be clear on this. We are in the world We're not to become spiritual hermits. That's kind of old-time thinking that we can't rub shoulders with the world. Oh, we don't go to those places. No, you go to those places and you rub shoulders with the world because I think that's what Jesus demonstrated for us in the Gospels. That's why he was called a a wine-bibber and a sinner because he was hanging out with the people that the religious tended to avoid. I would just say that when we are with the world that we need to influence culture, not allow culture to influence us. I love going back to Acts when it talks about the disciples turning the world upside down. That's the power of gospel and and the gospel and spirit-filled believers. I believe we can make a profound impact on Richmond and Lexington and Winchester and Georgetown, wherever you live, Berea. I believe we can make an immense difference in the culture, but we've got to be careful and stay unspotted from the world. I uh, alluded to Jesus' priestly prayer earlier, but in John 17, Jesus, before his betrayal and arrest, is praying for his disciples, and he says these words, praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Well, Father, don't, don't take the disciples away but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And here's what he says, verse 17. 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is saying, He knows there are people that need to be reached. The disciples, just like disciples today, followers of Jesus today, we need to be in the world. We need to be in the workplace. We need to saturate our communities with compassion and love and the gospel. But we've got to be careful that we're not influenced by the world when we're doing those things. The last thing we want to do is walk With the world. This is one of the reasons why church attendance is so important, being part of a local church. Because it is what gives us accountability. And I'm not talking about just coming and sitting in a church. And no, you need to build Christian relationships where people can hold you accountable. So when you start getting off track, like we all tend to do, you can exhort one another daily as Hebrews chapter 3 calls us to do. We exhort one another lest we fall away from the living God. Very clear that we don't want our hearts to become hardened. And one of the means, we know it's the Lord, Jude says, that is able, who is able to keep us from falling, but one of the means that the Lord uses is one another. So we need each other. As we're rubbing shoulders with the world, as we're witnessing to the world, we need each other to keep one another in check. Okay, so we, there are many things that we need. We need We need the Word of God. We need to be people of prayer. We need to live close to the Lord. The third refrain of the happy person has to do with belonging. Belonging. Those who walk in the counsel of sinners and those who stand in the path of sinners will, if they fail to repent, sit in the seat of scoffers. And I would say to sit with them is to belong with them. Scoffers will actually condemn and mock the church and Bible-believing Christians. We see this happening in our world today. There has been a great immorality that has been embraced by multitudes of people in our country. And Christians have listened to their counsel. They've started walking in some of the same immorality themselves. And now they identify with these type of worldly people. And you know what they do? They become scoffers because they look at quote-unquote conservative Christians. I'm not talking about legalistic Christians. I'm talking about conservative Christians. And they say, oh, you people are closed-minded. But friends, I have news for you today. That is not closed-mindedness. That's called biblical-mindedness. Okay? We're biblically-minded. That's the only thing I mean by being a conservative Christian. I don't mean... I'm not talking politically here. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that what we believe is that the Word of God is true and that it doesn't change based on culture. It changes culture. Amen? So the happy person refrains from thinking and behaving like and ultimately belonging to the world. Now, the happy person is not just defined by what they don't do, but also by what they do. So let's move on and talk about the happy persons. Number two, their relish, or you could say their delight. Look at verse 2 with me. His delight, this happy person, this blessed person, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, I love this word, delight, uh, matter of fact, I need some of y'all to help me who are on Facebook because there's been a post that's gone around. Uh, uh, Charity, you saw this because you commented on it. But um, it says, what are, what are some of the sayings, your, your, the kind of famous or infamous uh, sayings that your pastor says? And so I say a lot about Jesus here, all right? I just want to clarify. I think that's fair. I talk about treasuring Christ all the time, living to the glory of God. But no, nobody mentions that. Everybody's like, I love it when you say, I'll cut you. That's what I'm remembered for. Or when I say, don't tell Nikki, that was the second one. Yeah. Don't tell Nikki I said this. Um, or when I use my boys as, as an example. Um, you know, or this is, another one was this, this is why I don't go off my notes. <laughs> right? So listen, one of the words that I say frequently, and I talk, one of the subjects I talk about is delight, delight treasuring our theme as a matter of fact last year was treasuring Christ together what you delight in will absolutely shape your life I can look at your calendar I can look at your checkbook and I could tell you what is the delight of your heart those things that you value most in life if it is money you treasure you delight in you will absolutely do everything you can to it will consume your thinking to make your next dollar if it is relationships you will pursue relationships which is by the way not a bad thing but i'm saying if that's your highest treasure you'll you'll do whatever you can to build certain relationships with people by the way if you're looking to people for your happiness you will put unrealistic expectations on them. If you look to your spouse, as we talked about in our marriage series, for your completeness, your complete happiness, you're putting unrealistic expectations of them, and your your marriage will be crushed under the weight of those unrealistic expectations. If it's sin that you delight in, you name the sin, you will pursue sin. Whatever you delight in, you will pursue. Now, multitudes of people, get this, this is interesting. Multitudes of people are on what we call the pursuit of happiness, right? We believe in the pursuit of happiness. There's only one problem with this in my estimation. Right? This is Pastor Chris for a moment, but I believe this. If you pursue happiness in and of itself, I actually don't believe you'll ever find it. Because happiness, I believe, is always a byproduct of something else. you agree with that? It's always a byproduct of something else. The only true way to lasting, real, authentic happiness is to to delight in the Lord. He is the only one who can delight your heart, satisfy your heart. The only road to happiness is to pursue the Lord, to pursue His Word. The happy delight, this is what this verse says, the happy delight in the Word of God. On the law, they meditate day and night. Now, Here's what's interesting. In 2016, going back to the same year I just quoted to you about media, Barna reported this, that only about one-third of all American adults, which I think is a high estimation, report reading the Bible once a week or more. Ten hours and four minutes of TV or me- total media consumption, whatever it was, ten hours, 39 minutes of total media consumption a day. And we one-third of us might pick up our Bible once a week. Scary, it's alarming, sobering. The psalmist, though, here's what's interesting. He doesn't just call us to read the Word. Friends, he calls us to delight in the Word of the Lord. Now, it's likely here, he calls it the law, that the psalmist is referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So, think about this with me. Matthew, I know you were just in Numbers, right? Where are you at now? Leviticus, okay. Okay, because you couldn't handle Leviticus, right? <laughs> it's hard. So if you do the Bible reading, when you come to uh, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it can be challenging to get through it. It's challenging. This is all that he likely had, the psalmist. And he's saying, oh, this is my delight. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is my delight. Now, friends, listen. We have the entirety of the Bible. And by the way... Those books, when you really read them and study them out, they are great. They're wonderful. They're glorious. But we have the entirety of the gospel. We understand what the prophets didn't even know they were prophesying about. We know what we have and who we are in Jesus Christ. We know what the whole of the Old Testament was leading up to. It's incredible. We ought to relish in, delight in, love, treasure the word of God. My goal as a pastor is not just to get you to give in in daily, half-hearted Bible study. Oh, Pastor, I did my Bible study from the day. No, I want you to love the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I am so thrilled here with our children's ministry. They just uh, got a new curriculum. They're learning the catechism. On top of that, they got a new curriculum called, uh, I think it's Gospel for Life, something like that, from LifeWay. And in the next, over the next three years, our children will be taken through the entirety from Genesis to Revelation. They'll go through the entire Bible. They are learning in kids' church from an early age. The youth are doing the same thing. Started last week. Our, our youth and children, they're learning from our teachers. It's a core value of our church that we are to delight in the Word of God. Not just His cute little stories, but life-transforming words uh, that are God-breathed on the Scripture. It's incredible. We need to delight in the Word of God. So I have people say, well, Pastor, I would read if I just had more time. You have the same 168 hours in a week that I have, the same 24 hours in a day that I have. Okay? If you don't have time to read the Bible, there's only one reason. If you're able to read or hear, there's only one reason that you're not studying the Word of God. You don't delight in it. Because you make time for what you delight in. You make time for what you delight in. So if you're not doing that, if you're not spending time in the Word and treasuring, man, ask God. He is willing by His Spirit to awaken your heart. Listen, there are seasons in my life, even as a pastor, when Bible study just becomes, I don't know, just routine and I almost become numb to the words on the page where I don't enjoy it. I go through those seasons too, but I have found this. When I will get on my face before the Lord and say, God, I want to taste and see that you're good through these pages of Scripture. I want you to speak to my heart. The Holy Spirit does something supernaturally that awakens my heart, that quickens me uh, to the glory of His Word. It's incredible. We've got to savor the Word of God. Um, As a matter of fact, let me just say this. Talking about delight. This is the greatest battle against sin in your life. I grew up with rules, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The problem is, I thought a lot of those things that I was not supposed to do brought me at least temporary happiness. And here's the issue. If you try to quit sinning, quote unquote, and try to take away things from your life that bring you even temporary happiness, and you don't replace those with something else more positive, there's a gaping hole in your heart That has to be filled and so you'll keep running back you'll do good for a while and you'll run back and run back and run back however if you learn to delight in the Lord and his word you feel what uh, Augustine would call this God-shaped hole in your heart that only he can truly fill, and you won't long to do those other things like you used to I'm not saying you won't stumble here and there but I'm telling you, this is a great weapon in the battle against sin. Uh, I don't care if it's gossip, if it's sexual sin, what, uh, if it's drunkenness, whatever it might be. If those things bring you happiness, get rid of them. Fill your heart with the, uh, by treasuring the Word of God, by treasuring Christ above all things. And you will not need those quote-unquote vices anymore. It's amazing. So fight this battle with delight. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So happiness has to do, number one, with the refrain uh, of the righteous. They don't stand with the world. Uh, Number two, the relish of the righteous Their delight is in the word of the Lord. And number three, I'll I'll end here, is uh, the, the resolve of the righteous. The resolve of the righteous. The psalmist gives here in these final verses a beautiful depiction of the life of the godly. It says this, He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The blessed man or woman is like a tree planted by streams of water. Here's what's interesting. Trees don't often plant themselves. By God's grace, He plants us. He plants us. Matthew 15, 13, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted, Jesus says, will be rooted up. Because we have been planted by the Father, we are rooted in Christ through the new birth. I love Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with Him, rooted up and built up in Him. Did you get that? Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving in thanksgiving. So Listen, we as people of God have a continual source of water and nourishment. We're in the best soil possible. Even in the... Driest of situations and seasons, we can still bear fruit. Again, listen. Being among the righteous doesn't mean that we won't go through tough seasons in life. We're going to endure a great tribulation. But even in the worst of seasons, true Christians their their leaves do our, our leaves do not wither. All right, we still bear great. Fruit and we bear fruit because we're connected to Jesus Christ. I love what Jesus says in John 15, verse 4. He says, This abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The only way you can accomplish ministry, fruitful ministry. Is by the grace of God, by you being connected to Christ. I don't care how smart you are, how intelligent you are, how skilled you are. You've got to be connected to Jesus Christ to bear lasting fruit. He says, verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they... Gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So we bear fruit because we're continually nourished by the streams of Christ and His Word. Interesting idea here that is that a tree, when we think about being a tree, like a tree planted by the streams, a tree bears fruit not for itself, but for others. When you as the righteous prosper... Friends, it's, just, it's not just for your benefit. It's for the people around you. It is vital that we are happy people. Okay? I'm not talking about living in luxury. I'm talking about being content in every situation. When that is you, that speaks volumes to the people around you. One of the greatest witnesses you, you know, things you can do that helps your witness is simply this. Be content... In Jesus Christ, what did Paul say to Timothy? Godliness with contentment is great gain. You show people, when, you're, when you have much or you're abased, you show people, listen, Jesus Christ is enough. He is sufficient for me. And that speaks volumes to the people around you as you share the gospel. You show truly that Jesus Christ is more than enough. Amen. He is El Shaddai. He's more than enough. The first, the last, the beginning, and the end. He's all that we need. Then the psalmist goes on to talk about the wicked. In verse 4 he says, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff, uh, chaff are the husks that are separated by winnowing or threshing the chaff is lighter than the edible kernels. And when a farmer tosses the threshed wheat into the air, there's a separation that happens by the wind. A separation process takes place. And so will it be with the wicked, those who have no relationship with God. Their time will come to an end. And this doesn't mean that the wicked will not see any Type of prosperity on the earth, the Bible declares that He causes it, that God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Psalm thirty seven says that we're not to envy the wicked. Why would we envy them if they're not prosperous at all? Psalm thirty seven one never envy the wicked. Soon they fade away like grass and disappear. And here's what's interesting: both the weed and the chaff they grow together. And friends, the righteous and the wicked grow together, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And I want to say something pretty strongly this morning. Not only are both the wicked and the righteous in the world, both the wicked and the righteous are actually in the church. It's sobering, it's frightening. Eternal happiness comes to the righteous by virtue of their relationship with Jesus. Therefore the wicked, verse 5, will not, not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation... Of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous I love that the Lord knows your way you're in Christ he knows your way but the way of the wicked will perish let me point out this the first word of the psalm is the word blessed hey don't miss this the first word is the word blessed which means happy And it describes the life of the righteous who delight in the law of the Lord. And this is eternal happiness. The last word in the psalm is the word perish. Describing the end of the wicked. We desperately need to preach the gospel to those who are on this path. So in closing, what is the pathway to true happiness? The beginning point, I can't say this loudly enough, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. When God created Adam and Eve, He created us in good and for good, without sin, able to have a perfect relationship with Him in His good graces, in His favor. You get the picture when you read you of Adam and Eve strolling in the garden, just speaking with the Lord, being there with His manifest presence. Incredible picture. But then our parents, Adam and Eve, our first parents, Did something. They broke the law of the Lord. They wanted to do what God told them not to. Insatiability. They wanted exactly what they were told they couldn't have. Still a great sin today, right? We always want that one thing we can't have. And so because of that, we all are broken people. See, the gospel is humbling because it tells us we're all we're all the same, apart from Christ. We're all broken, flawed, sinful people. And actually, the worst news of all about our sin is that it actually puts us under the wrath of God. And that's not a good place to be. And There is no way. So you're on, you're on this path apart from Christ. You're on the path of the wicked. And there is no way by your good works that you can switch paths. You can't be good enough to just hop on over. You only get to that other path by virtue of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came in the world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We could not have a righteousness of our own that was good enough for God because His demand is perfection. So Jesus came, born in, was born in the likeness of men, lived a sinless life, never sinned, though He was tempted, the Bible says, in every way. Never sinned, and yet He died a sinner's death. Not only did He die a gruesome death that was for the worst of criminals excruciating pain the worst torment he was under is that he bore the wrath of God the Father he appeased in his sacrifice the wrath of God on our behalf It's incredible thought that's why he said on the cross my God my God why have you forsaken me I felt forsaken as he was bearing the wrath of so that we could exchange the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God in that moment. And for us, here's the exchange. What did he give us? He gave us life and his righteousness. So now we have a righteousness. We, we get to be on this path of the righteousness, not by virtue of who we are or what we've done, but by virtue of who he is and what he did at Calvary. It's the best news in the world. The best news of the world. And even then, once you come to Him by faith, and if you've not done that, why wait another moment? The end for that other path is simply perishing. It's staying under the wrath of God, not good for all of eternity. Don't stay on that path. Come to Jesus today. And for those of us assuming that most of us are believers in here, even then, you're on the path of the righteous, but delight in His Word. Walk in His ways. Let God shape your thinking, your heart, your behavior, and your belonging. And you will live the most blessed life. So you can wear that blessed shirt uh, you know, very authentically from now on. You're in the blessed club when you're walking with the Lord. So if you're here today and you're just not happy, not content, I would say God's given you everything in the worst of even circumstances you can have true and lasting happiness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for what you've given us in Jesus. Today, thank you that you've given us way to truly be happy in you. Truly be happy in you. Change our hearts today. Make us uh, delight in your word more and more and more. May we uh, long for you, treasure you above all things. In Jesus' name,